Good morning, I'm Paul, host of the new PL, and I'm very grateful you've taken the time to join us today. We believe business needs a new PL, one that is as much focused on principles and leadership as it is on profit and loss. Because we know if your principles are right and aligned with your purpose, and your leadership has a clear vision and focus and strength and empathy, then your business will be in profit and not loss in so many ways. Today's guest is the brilliant Marianne Moore, Managing Director and Chair at Justice Studio. Marianne is an entrepreneur and strategy consultant specializing in human rights. She founded social justice consultancy, Justice Studio in 2011, and has worked extensively in the UK and in over 30 countries on criminal, child and gender justice issues. Marianne is on a mission to delegitimize the structures and values of traditional business, helping the world to see that a new way is possible. So Marianne, a very warm welcome to the new PL. Thank you very much for taking the time to join us. Thank you. It's great to be here. My pleasure. Um, it'd be great if we could start the conversation with you giving listeners just a bit of a quick introduction as to who you are, what you do and who you do it for. Yes, so I am basically a career consultant, uh, a, ma a management consultant originally, and, and then social justice consultant. Been working since my early 20s in that field. And then 10 years ago in 2011, I founded a consultancy company called Justice Studio. So for the last 10 years, I have been managing and leading that organization. And for Justice Studio, essentially, I've you know continued to be a client as well as sorry, a, con a consultant as well as um, managing that company. And we work with governments, charities, social enterprises, and people who are working in the social justice sector. And talk me through a little bit about the sort of projects you do, and um, with a bit more expanse in terms of what sort of organisations you work for. What is the what does the day-to-day -day machination of, stu of uh, Justice Studio look like? It's very varied. We have, at the moment, we have about 10 different projects that we're working on for a number of different clients. Some of them are very small charities, for example, a prison reform charity. Some of them are much larger, for example, the Samaritans. And we are doing different projects such as research, strategy work, and impact measurement. A lot of the projects we do are around evaluating projects and seeing whether or not they're effective and helping our clients to improve those services, mm -hmm. as well as kind of developing what we've learned within those projects into strategy formulation and kind of improving the work that our clients are doing so that they can ultimately enhance the lives of the service users that they are um, working for. Going from a career consultant or a management consultant to setting up Justice Studio could, to the casual observer, seem quite a leap. You've moved into social enterprise and into, into social justice. What prompted that decision to set it up and what continues to, I guess, drive you today in that regard? I think, to be honest, a lot of what drove me to set it up was, was a slight frustration with the management consultancy sector in the first place. I, I was a consultant who always was interested in social justice, particularly around youth justice and child protection. Those were my passions. And what I did with my early career was to merge the management consultancy aspect with the 
the kind of social aspect around improving the services for children and young people. So a lot of my early work was in youth prisons, for example, right. helping to evaluate them and understand how they were operating and recommending the um, government as to how they could improve those services for young people. So I was kind of gradually maneuvering myself into this specialism of, um, of management within the social justice sector. And, and principally what was frustrating for me was the kind of organizations who were dominating that management consultancy industry had been working a lot in the public and charitable sector, but without sharing the values of the public and charitable sector. And although there were some organizations that shared the values as well, it seemed to me a bit of a gap that there wasn't something which had the efficiency of the management consultancy sector, but also that heart and that and that kind of passion for, for wanting to do social good. So with Justice Studio, I was basically trying to create an organization that I hadn't experienced before. Um, one that would kind of look after me as well as, as other people who shared the same ideals as me. Yeah. So you've touched on values in that answer um, as, is clear the principles and leadership podcast we look at purpose and principles that underpin a business and your values are compassion and empathy and truth and, and passion can you explain to me how they underpin the delivery of your work on a daily basis because the there's always a fascination for me and how businesses take the values that sit on their wall or in their documents and how they deliver it strategically and operationally day to day so how do you ensure that those those values of compassion, empathy, truth, and passion feed your work every day. Yeah, and I hate that. It's really awful when you kind of see <laughs> these values written on somebody's website and then you know the organization and you think, actually, I don't think that you're <laughs> adhering to any of these values yes. at all. And when we set the values, I really wanted to make sure that we didn't do that. And part of what we do is not to be a hypocrite and so it is important to me that what values we say we have we actually do live them on a day-to-day -day basis in terms of compassion i think that's really important i mean it's really just caring and um you know caring about the end service user and all of the people that work at justice studio most of them have come because they they care you know they they, they want to work on a project about homelessness because they see a, somebody who's homeless and they think that that's horrible and then they, they care about wanting to change that for that person yeah. or they, um, they see child abuse and they want it to stop and so they want to work on projects that will help to create services that could stop that. Um, and so that's really important in terms of the types of projects that we do. So the compassion will drive us to work with a organization and really think about the service user for that organization and make sure that whatever that organization is doing actually directly changes the lives of their service users or their beneficiaries so that's how we would be directing our projects and in terms of empathy we as much as possible try and embed the service users or beneficiaries within our project work so for example if we were going to be doing research we would be creating a steering group where the service users could join where they can be part of the research and we can understand from them their lived experience in order to create the tools in a way that makes sense to them mm -hmm. 
we would be um, talking about that in our recommendations as well and, and bringing their voices as much as possible to the fore. And with truth, often in the consultancy industry, it's, it's you're in a funny place because you have clients and you are meant to be, you know, telling them how to improve. And there can be that problem of, you know, do you want to tell them when they're doing wrong <laughs> or they're doing, they're doing less well, they're doing bad or they're, um, their, you know, their project isn't working. Yeah. And this is what um, we talk about when we have new staff is that sometimes we will have to say bad news to people, but we have to, it's the truth, you know, that our whole point is to help the organization improve. And if we don't tell them the bad news as well as the good news, then we lose our integrity and it doesn't help them at all. Yeah. Um, and finally, passion. I just think passion is really important. I felt in my career, I was I had a lot of passion I've always been a very passionate person and some organizations that I've worked with I felt like they just wanted to dampen it down and they wanted me to kind of fit in their box and I don't want that for anybody that works for Justice Studio I want our, our kind of organization to grow and thrive off people's passions so even though that may not be able to be seen on a day-to-day -day level that's the kind of motivation that I want to drive the yeah. people that work within it. I wanted to tap into a, a bit around the truth and integrity point you've made just, just a moment ago. And you talked about some of the clients you work with, and you've got to be truthful and honest about some of the results of your research or your consultancy, even if you feel they may not want to, to hear that. I guess some of the work you do also, you have to form relationships with organizations and governments who perhaps don't share your, your values. You work right around the world in a range of, a range of nations. They may not share your values or they might not adhere to them in the same level uh, that you do. How do you manage that relationship in that instance? And is there a point where you have to compromise some of your own values in a, in a small way, perhaps, for the, for the greater good to, to be able to deliver that research pro project, to be able to expose that inadequacy or that issue that needs to be exposed? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. I was... I mean, if you think, I mean, so far we haven't had to work with any kind of really extreme um, client examples that I might be able to point, point to to say, you know, we worked with this terrorist group or we worked with that one, for example. I think everything comes on a case by case basis as to would we want to work with these people. In general, I come from a perspective that anyone can learn and grow and improve and people can develop compassion and empathy and that our role is to help them to be able to do that. So if we, if somebody came to us and said that they wanted to work with us, we would be, we would be kind of looking for that is, you know, what is the capacity, what is the appetite for mm -hmm. change? So it may be that they don't have all of exactly the same values as ours, but as long as we are talking about our own values and challenging them on their values, then I feel that it sits in with our peace. Yes. Um, however, I can imagine a time when we would, when we might be approached by people who are just so, um, so difficult that we, that we think actually we can't, and we don't work with the fully commercial sector in general. Um, that's been a, a kind of line that we've drawn because we work with, um, with the charitable sector and the public sector. Mm -hmm. So in terms of kind of organizations where it's just solely about profit and there's nothing to do um, with helping people's lives, then, then it's much less likely that we would work with them. But otherwise I think it's down to us to be 
really transparent at each point in time about what we believe and and test and see how willing to listen they are. That makes sense. Um, you are a strongly purpose-driven organization um, and there are now many, many conversations and business more broadly around the importance of purpose in a commercial setting and a business setting and a desire for business to do more than tick boxes and work with the communities that they reside within and work with. What do you think businesses could learn from social enterprises and social organizations in terms of the way you develop and deliver purpose? Yeah, I think that that businesses could learn so much. I mean, really, I think all business should be like the social enterprise sector in the sense that it has both a need to have profit, but also a, a need to solve a social problem or that it certainly shouldn't be creating social problems. I think the fact of, of kind of the history of business so far, and um, it has quite a stain on it, I would say, you know, in terms of it being instigator of um, imperialism and, you know, continuing to not, not help the um, climate crisis and that kind of thing. There's an awful lot of general values and ethics that the social enterprise sector demonstrate that business in the traditional sense hasn't fully bought into yet. But really the social enterprise sector or businesses that both look at profit and purpose, they are the future. Um, as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. So I think if they, if, if businesses want to be um, relevant, if they want to still be around, um, they should develop a purpose. They should have a reason for being that makes sense, not just for the benefit of their shareholders, but for the benefit of other stakeholders in the community and in the world. So part of their balance of purpose and profit is a triple bottom line approach, which you take with Justice Studio. For those listeners who may not be familiar with what a triple bottom line looks like or what the concept is. Can you talk me through what this is and how it changes your approach to business commercially and ethically, I guess? Yeah, I mean, the original bottom line is profit. So, you know, you have to make profit in order to stay alive. And certainly that is that is the case that we, we do need to make profit in order to um, pay our staff and kind of keep going and keep growing in fact as well. But the triple bottom line also introduces people and planet. So it's about thinking, well, what does, what else are we trying to do as an organization? Who, who or, or what are we trying to help? And can we do that within the boundaries of what's environmentally sustainable? And how can we ensure that our, not just what our business does, but all of the internal practices align with something that is both good for people and good for planet and as well as making profit. Like they don't have to be, it doesn't have to be one or the other. Mm -hmm. it, they yeah. all can, they all, are all possible to do at the same time. Is it easier to take that approach when we're a consulting business or you're a consulting business or we're offering a service as opposed to the challenges that comes with industrial manufacturing of which we all benefit from, how do they adopt the principle of the triple bottom line when clearly there is an impact on society and on the environment and on business more generally through the nature of their production? Yeah, I mean, I think it's industry that is the, it, it would be the, the most um, important to, to actually adopt this triple bottom line. 
Yeah. And it's those organizations that are, that yes, probably are the least traditional in terms of social enterprises who would be best placed to adopt it. I mean, unfortunately, I think it comes down to, to shareholders. I mean, a lot of companies are basically beholden to their shareholders. And as long as those shareholders are only caring about the profit, then you know, the, the rest of the organization suffers from that um, because it's it's less able to be able to innovate and say, well, actually, we're going to forego some profit because we don't want to create harm. Um, you know, in, in some places, it means that you have to make decisions that may not mean that you have a kind of massive profit, but it also may mean that you don't harm loads of people. So I think if in order for business to really change, it needs to have the support and the backup of the people who are right at the top, mm. um, the shareholders and the investors. And the, the, the reason it's been good for us, I mean, we've been able to, to, to be whatever we want to be because I am the only shareholder and I set the organization up. So if I care about, if I care about people and I care about planet as well as I care about profit, then the organization will. But yeah. I do think it's different if, you're in an organization where the shareholders would not be um, interested in that. And it's really important that that leadership comes all the way right from, from the top in order to really change the culture of business in general. Agreed. There's been a huge growth in social innovation and social enterprise and in this space in recent years, driven largely, but not exclusively, by using technologies to more effectively, I guess, address some of society's challenges. From your perspective, where does the innovation come from in your sector? How do you define innovation within the within the space that you play in in the social enterprise sector? I have a bit of a complex feeling about the word innovation because I feel like it's it's become something that everybody's very excited about doing and, and demonstrating. But actually, is it really necessarily a good thing? Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not saying that I don't think it's good to innovate. Of course, it's good to make something that works well, make it work even better. But my problem is that I don't think we're doing some basic things well in the first place. And we kind of keep trying to change things in order to show an element of progress or progression when actually we, we probably need to go back to square one and think, well, actually, what are we trying to do here? A lot of our, there's always a kind of a bit of a mix up between do you, do you try and make things better on a day-to-day -day basis or do you try and challenge the structures? And at Justice Studio, we're, I guess we're kind of trying to do a little bit of both. Right. On the one right. hand, we have to work with organizations um, who are who are kind of who are who who generally just want to to try and improve the day-to-day -day living of the people who they are serving. But we also want to call out I think and draw attention to the structural injustices that exist and the ones that are really perpetuating um, the ongoing inequality. Um, great if we have a technology but a technology is only ever going to exacerbate whatever it exacerbates. Yes. And so for me it's about can we actually really reflect on what we're doing at our core and can we do that properly and make sure that whatever the technology is bolted onto, um, it actually improves things rather than potentially making things worse. I understand that. So how do we how do we change the structures? What does it take to change the because many of these structures are systemic, they've been they've existed for decades, 
um, if not hundreds of years? How do we create the momentum or create the critical mass required to, to change the structure that essentially sets a new paradigm for innovation of the future? I think that the first thing is for us to kind of acknowledge the structures. I think that there's still a lot of, of lack of understanding in society in general about what these structures are. You know, I'm talking about patriarchy, I'm talking about white supremacy, I'm talking about cis heteronormativity. There's all these kind of things that many people would not even see or acknowledge because they don't experience them. And so I think our first step is that we do have to acknowledge that these structures mean that some people have, you know, start out in life from a, from a more of an advantaged position. Because if we don't acknowledge that first, then, um, you know, we're going to be going around in circles. And, and then, and, and for me, I think it's often, we have to be um, thinking about what is the work that we're doing? Is the work that we're doing leading towards a, a leveling or a redistribution of power? Are we, are we kind of creating projects which will ultimately bring us further to social equality or are we creating projects or, or, or services or products which are actually enhancing and exacerbating ex existing structural inequality? So first of all, we have to recognize it and then we have to think about the work that we're doing and whether or not that contributes in a good way or a negative way towards changing it. And finally, I think it's really important to think about the values of society and what we hold as being most important, because I think it's those values that have started this, these structural injustices in the first place. And, um, you know, the kind of structures that mean that business is all about profit. Why is business all about profit? Why is money accumulation the most important thing? Is there a different way of thinking about the economy? Um, is there a different way of thinking about, you know, competition and collaboration and that kind of thing? So it's about um, all of these different elements working together so that we have more awareness and um, are more purposeful in, in the direction that we're, we're um, working in. So when or as we gradually emerge from the pandemic, we're going to have to reimagine many things in society at a national and an international level how we manage debt, unemployment, employees' relationship with work, government investment and infrastructure, to, to name but a few. What role, given what you've just said around social justice and competition and collaboration and reimagining of the, the economic structure, what positive role can or should social enterprises play in the rebuilding of society or the reframing of the structure of society? How can we bring that social enterprise innovation or innovative thinking to the fore as, as we reflect and hopefully restructure society. Yeah, I think it is really about this, this concept of the triple bottom line and thinking, you know, yes, we um, need to rebuild the economy, but also being aware of what is, how is that economy measured? You know, a lot of the economy is measured without taking into account the unpaid labor, of childcare and and all of this kind of thing, which actually I think the pandemic shows really well um, that uh, I think essentially we need to be thinking not just about rebuilding in a very traditional sense, but thinking about how can we even change the the economy completely. I know that we're thinking about um, 
working life and the balance between work working working life and and home life and particularly a lot of moving towards remote working I have a bit of a worry that that we've kind of gone too far into the remote working and things for example where you have working mothers who have been juggling work and childcare um, they're finding it easier to juggle work and childcare when they're remote working, but that doesn't actually change the structure, which is that they're piled with all of the responsibility of working and looking after childcare. And I worry that somehow some of the things that have changed during the pandemic are then more of a sticking plaster um, and, and makes it more difficult to actually see where the original issues are. Um, so I think the social justice sector, basically their role is in showing business that you can be both, that you can think about rebuilding the economy in the traditional sense, maybe also challenging how the economy is constructed in a less traditional sense and, um, and, and embedding that kind of social reconstruction that, that you exist because you want to make society a better place um, as well. What does great leadership look like in your sector in terms of the characteristics of what defines a great leader in social enterprise and social justice. What does that look like and where do you see great examples of that within the social enterprise and justice sectors? I think great leadership to me is really around integrity and honesty and being able to live your values and demonstrate your values. So I think in general, the social enterprise sector, because it is a very values driven sector in the first place, it tends to be espousing that in general kind of through its very existence. It is, it is leading business in a, in a, in a more um, kind of humane way. And it is more important for, for principles and integrity to be demonstrated on a day-to-day -day basis in the work and, and through kind of leadership. I don't have any particular um, examples, but I think you know it when you don't see it, but it's really about, I think, being, I think the social enterprise sector is a value because it doesn't try and fit into an existing business box. Mm -hmm. It is doing something different and it is taking the sector into in a different direction and the fact that it is doing that that it's that it's demonstrating that you can be both profit and purpose yeah. it is in itself a kind of leadership for the overall business sector many of the conversations i have with brands when i'm discussing purpose and principles and the way we the way we implement it into a culture the way we think about it in business a lot of the conversation is not just about purpose, but about how we reframe the assumptions we make when we look at purpose within the business, when we reframe the expectations of what purpose and principles can deliver within a culture and within a business. And I wondered from your perspective, how do you measure your success as an organization? You know, what do you think businesses realistically could learn from the way the social enterprise sector more generally assesses their own purpose and, and the success that that brings to the business. Yeah, I think thinking about how we measure our success is something that we're really concerned with and we're kind of constantly thinking about what's the best way of measuring our success because we help 
um, our clients to improve um, and have more impact. And we also want to be able to to kind of actively show how we can um, do that too. And I think the key thing around our client work is our success for us in that is how confident the our client feels, but then ultimately what difference that makes to their service users and their beneficiaries and yeah. are their are their lives changed? Are there have their outcomes changed? And being able to to say yes, they have in a positive way. But I think also for me within Justice Studio, it's important in terms of success to think about how are our staff and how do they feel? How listened to do they feel? How um, how involved do they feel? How happy are they? You know how how interested in the work are they yes there is an, an awful lot of internal success which is not necessarily something that you know outwardly people want to to know but i would want to know that because for me and my own personal you know level of whether or not we're being successful that is really important as well the social innovation and enterprise and not-for-profit sector more generally they're they're not without their critics all entrepreneurs and organizations, social or otherwise, bring with them to a venture subjectivity and bias and certain assumptions based on life experience and ethnicity and culture in their social environment and so on. However, the decisions that social innovators and enterprises make on the basis of their inherent biases and assumptions have on occasion very negatively impacted on the very people they hope to help. So how does Justice Studio assess measure account for and address your own biases and assumptions within your team and those you work with to ensure that you start from the right place with your programs and your research and your consulting and the other initiatives you roll out yeah i mean i think we we started out actually as a kind of critique to the assumptions and the biases that exist in the sector yeah. there has certainly been and, and particularly in the international development sector where we operate a lot of our work, there is a big assumption that the UK somehow knows better than other countries and um, that our advice should be listened to and that all of our systems are, you know, should be replicated and this kind of thing. So for a start, I think we in ourselves work to challenge the assumptions and biases that exist in the world around us. But yes, we do also have our own biases and assumptions. And I think that the most important thing you can do with them is to acknowledge them and be reflective about what they are. And, and that's what we constantly try and do. I mean, particularly if you think about good research practice, it's about not saying that there won't be any biases, there won't be any subjectivity. In fact, actually, there always has been bias and there's always been subjectivity, but it, it's always, it's actually always been from a very particular White, white male rich standpoint so it's not been considered or recognized as bias or subjectivity um, and so we kind of want to acknowledge and honor bias and subjectivity and then at the same time challenge ourselves in our work so what does that mean um, and how can we check those biases and how can we in particular work with the service users and, and beneficiaries to involve them and and share power within projects Yes. so that where it's not a kind of something is being done to somebody else or it's kind of the, all of the the power of those biases and assumptions are contained within one group it actually means that there's much more ability to be able to um, diffuse those if if um, if they're problematic yeah 
in, in your international development work and the consultancy work and research work you do, you would imagine I would imagine you meet people from right across the spectrum from business people and politicians on the one hand to local activists and communities and those affected by displacement and corruption and huge economic inequality and social justice, as well as those who have committed their lives to helping these communities out there in the field. I wondered as a result, what's the most profound thing someone has said to you that stayed with you through all your encounters and, and why has it stayed with you? It's not so much what someone said as how they said it, which has never really left me. I was in a youth offending prison in Albania and everybody was talking in Albanian. We kind of were in a we're in a room with the governor of the prison and we had lots of young offenders that were brought in around the table and everybody was speaking in Albanian and I was there and this white woman kind of sitting around the table being you know and they were they were kind of being all deferential towards me and and I just remember very clearly suddenly one of the young people started speaking to me in English amazing English perfect English and he said he just said you know you they don't know what I'm saying because they don't understand English but um you know they're not treating us very well and um and and can you do anything and all of this kind of stuff and it just kind of really really cut through yes in a really profound way because it suddenly just um you know kind of switched out all of the all of the noise and no one else really knew what was going on apart from this and and I just had this clear voice just coming straight through me and I felt pretty stupid myself at that time I felt pretty much like yeah how am I really how am I really <laughs> helping you here um you know and and you and and he had yeah as I said amazing English and he was in this youth funding institution and it felt like he had so little power yeah. and I had yeah. so much power and yet I felt like I didn't really have any power either and that was quite a profound moment for me um and I don't think I will ever forget that but it certainly kind of made me reflect on you know what am I doing and how much can I help and what is my role um in yeah in that whole thing did that change or, or reshape the way you approached your projects moving forward does that sort of have a more formal underpinning in the way you deliver your projects since thinking about what you're doing over and above the conversations and the research you're doing as you say you kind of you're there to deliver a project, but actually someone is there asking for your help. And I wondered whether that changed the way you looked at your projects after that. I think it's, in general, there is a difficulty within the whole sector of international development. I have a, um, there is a, a genuine problem with the whole sector. One that we are trying to change at the same time as having to kind of work within it so it is again back to that thing that you were saying about kind of you know um can you do something <laughs> you know um on a day-to-day -day basis and and i think that this is the this is the, di the dichotomy that i that we all have to struggle with you know when you're working in an international development sector which is essentially a neo-colonial sector and you disagree with colonialism and you disagree with power imbalance um how can you how can you kind of keep also working in it yeah. and so yeah. you have to i think just be constantly 
aware of that and constantly calling that out both to yourselves and within yourselves and it, within the groups that we're working in and also to to the client you know to the UK government to the Albanian government and um and being really clear that th that this is a problematic sector and that there shouldn't be any um illusion that it's somehow you know non-complicated <laughs> on on a personal note sort of exploring that a bit further what what continues to drive your own commitment to Justice Studio? You know, you've set it up a decade ago. What continues to motivate you and drive you? Is it the same things that encouraged your establishing of it a decade ago? Or has that, has that changed as you've grown, as you've matured, and as the Justice Studio has matured and grown? Yes, I think it has changed over the years. I think that originally, I was very much focused on the individual projects and what could I do within the individual projects and how could I help them in this country or, or that country or in this area. And as I've as I've gone along, actually, I've, you know, in, by undertaking loads of different little projects, you see more clearly the overarching structures and the, and the problems. And so I think for me personally, it has become more about challenging the entire sector, <laughs> as well as creating as well as creating the organization in itself so as i've moved less from the delivery element and i've had i've got staff that now do most of that work you know within the organization and my role is much more leadership and management um for me it's the motivation comes from creating a really great place for people to work and creating a organization that is not afraid to say things that other organizations might be afraid to say and being a bit more of a kind of agitator on a kind of a slightly larger scale, I would yeah. say. Um, that's that's what motivates me more now is kind of how can I how can I really make this thing that um, that I started really live its values and 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 kind of make a positive change in the world. Do you think the sector itself recognizes its own need for change, its own fragility in terms of its infrastructure or the the inadequacies of, it and of its infrastructure is it's a challenge for you as much education and recognition as it is the changing of it i think it's starting to be a lot more reflective mm -hmm. certainly you can see much more now um organizations and governments being more willing to acknowledge the colonial legacy, for example. I mean, I wouldn't say the greatest it yet, but there's a beginning of an acknowledgement of, of the colonial legacy. Certainly in the last year with the Black Lives Matter movement, there has been a lot more acknowledgement within the sector of structural racism yes. and how it can and how the, how the sector can can challenge that and not be hypocritical in the work that it's doing and adopt anti-racist practices we've definitely seen that so i think that there is a movement in the sector with it trying to be more acknowledging of these these large-scale injustices and and trying to change it itself i certainly see that but it just it will take some time to for that to kind of fully function does it collaborate to the degree that you feel it should to tackle these structural inequalities within the within the um, the sector itself? Is there enough collaboration between organisations, or do you find it's almost like a business 
competition in that regard? Well, I think I think that the main problem is that we don't, it's the leadership. I mean, obviously, and we're talking about leadership and principles and essentially we ultimately, there are many organizations and charities that are still underneath a banner of a kind of our government and the leadership of our country. Yes. And uh, I still think that it's there that there is not much of an acknowledgement of, well, certainly of, of structural racism because they came out and said there isn't any um but you know but also of the colonial legacy and and kind of what impact they're having so in the same way that a leader sets the the tone and the values of the rest of the organization our our, our leaders of our country are also preventing us to be able to progress further than they are and they are more limited in their understanding and acknowledgement of these important things i think what does justice studio look like in five years what what is the the ambition for the organization? Well, my personal ambition is I'm growing it so that um, until it doesn't need me anymore, until it is functioning without me, until it's maybe nice to have me, but it, but I'm but I'm not essential. So so part of that is a journey of of new leadership within within um, Justice Studio. So very soon. I am a managing a new managing director is starting um, at the end of September, so I will be passing on to, to them and then I'll become chair and then I, I, I will be gradually being less in just the studio. And so then I see it really, I mean, as an entrepreneur, that's kind of what you want to achieve in the end is you want to kind of set something up and then you want to see it kind of running and healthy. And in five years time, I, it would be great for it will be 15 years old. So it will be a kind of teenager. <laughs> um, and yeah, I kind of see it really um, maturing in that time. And and I would like to see it being able to be more influential, to be more of a known name within the, the social enterprise sector, to be able to be working more closely with governments and maybe challenging them around their thinking and to really be a beacon of a new way or a different way of thinking about consultancy yes, for yes. others to follow. Marianne, we always end our podcast with our guests offering one or two pieces of advice or observations or points for listeners to go away and think about perhaps in their business. What would they be from your perspective? What would you like to leave our listeners with today? I I think the key thing for me is really about going with your feelings mm -hmm. and not just following your gut, which is important. You must follow your gut and, and kind of understand, you know, your path through that inner moral sense and what feels right or, or not right, but also bringing emotion more into business. I think that business has been lacking because it has tried to not be emotional and it has tried to denigrate the idea of being emotional. But actually, in order to create a healthy working environment, it's important to, to not just allow emotion, but to show emotion as a leader and to not be afraid, for example, to cry if you're sad um, and, and do all these things because often it's those kind of humane elements that are missing. And I think if I could give any advice, it would be don't, don't be afraid of those things because running a business is hard <laughs> a lot of the time. And um, 
and it's very rewarding, but it can also be hard. And so allowing all of the different feelings that come up and making sure that none are prohibited, I think is an important thing to do if you're kind of thinking about your own business. That's a great piece of advice to end on. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much for your time today. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. It's been really good to speak to you. Thank you. If you'd like to learn more about what Marianne and her team do at Justice Studio, please go to justicestudio.org. And you'll also find the links and the notes that accompany the podcast. If you have enjoyed today's discussion with Marianne, please do take a moment to go back and perhaps listen to some of the other episodes on the new PL or the Friday, the new PL to the point, which is our weekly breakdown and analysis of our conversations. And please also take a moment to rank us or review us. It all helps with our ratings and our rankings. And just before we go, I wanted to let you know we've also recently launched our latest, the new PL workshop. Think like an entrepreneur, act like an entrepreneur. The workshop is an intensive half-day session focused on helping individuals and teams to adopt and integrate a more entrepreneurial approach to their thinking and their doing within a corporate environment. The workshop breaks down and analyzes many of the myths and perceptions that surround entrepreneurial thinking and offers participants a range of tools and techniques they can use moving forward to enhance their entrepreneurial thinking and their entrepreneurial actions, helping them to work more closely together with more cohesion and with more inspired entrepreneurial spirit. So if you'd like to learn a little bit more about this workshop, please just email me at paul at principlesandleadership.com and we can pick up the conversation from there. And there's an exclusive 50% off the usual investment for any business that books the workshop before the end of October. So I'm Paul, host of the new PL. Thank you once again for listening today. Have a great day and speak again soon.